I lost my job at the bank on my first day. A woman asked me to check her balance. I pushed her over. Warning. For the next 60 minutes, you will be subjected to strong opinions about life. Listeners of this podcast may experience explosive diarrhea, uncontrollable laughter, and a strong urge to high-five the host in the face with a brick. If you experience any of these symptoms, consult your local physician, magistrate, or priest. Welcome to Sweating Bullets Podcast. There we go. And here we are again on the next episode. Till the next time. (laughs) Anyways. um, Shit, I forgot how I was going to open this. Anyways, of course you got me, Woody, as usual. That's completely brain dead. For some reason I've got brain fog. I'm whatever the case is. But anyways, I'm sitting here, standing. I'm sitting here with Michelle as usual. Michelle, say hey. Hey. How's your week? Much better than yours, apparently. Mine's been chaotic as f-, f. I swear you just said chaotic. No, chaotic. <laughs> no chaotic. Oh my gosh, this is going to be an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've only had two beers. But okay. I assure you, that is not the issue. Y'all have heard me, if you listen to the episode with Getting Shitty with Smitty. Um, you got really shitty on that episode. Yeah, but I still went to work the next day. Good, I, I good. did not. I was on time still and did my job and moved on. Priorities, I'm telling you. Yeah. That's one thing I've always admired about myself. <laughs> oh, it's getting deep, folks. No, I'm just saying, no matter how shit face I get the night before, I always make it to work the next day. Now, I'll call out. But not for that. I call out for well days. Like you know, mental health days or yeah. Days I, f- I feel just fine. Just I want to go. I want to go fishing. Want or, to lay in bed and scratch your knee all day. And there, there's that. There's yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Of course, yes, yes, yeah. yes. But as far as having a hangover or being sick, I still go to work. Good, you should. Even when I had the Rona, the only reason I didn't go is because they said I had the Rona and they said I couldn't go to work. Otherwise, I would have been fine. Yeah, well, that might have been nice of you to protect your co-workers from getting the Rona. I don't know if I protected them, because it was a bunch of them that still got it, regardless. But anyways, tonight we have a special guest, um, Brian Mitchell. Do you want me to call you Brian, or do you want me to call you Michael, or what do you want me to call you? <laughs> you can just call me Brian. All right, Brian Mitchell. He's an old buddy of mine. Um, used to play in a band very briefly. Um, many, 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 many moons ago. Um, That's a lot of moons for you. It's been been a minute. Yes. Yeah, I haven't really played much since I played with Brian. And that was a band called um, Blood Trails. Yeah, so, we also changed our name to uh, Outrage there near the end. I did not. And you were, uh, we played a lot of shows where, with your former band before that too yes yes we did um it's always a very enjoyable moment for me anyways but not for the most part i don't play anymore i play with myself but the whole the drama and all that bs that comes along with the band life began began to be too much i don't like drama i don't deal with drama 
We all know that you play with yourself. So I just play with myself. There's no drama. I mean, if my hand You don't gets, create a drama in your head? I do, but I have to deal with it, not every other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, damn. See, now it done effed myself up again. Um, Brian. His, his name is Brian. I, I know. Yeah. I know. Brian. I know. Brian. Last name is Mitchell, and maybe that's throwing you off. Of course, we have all these mics around us. Exactly. And, well, you see, we had a conversation before we got on about mics, and Brian was telling me about his former boss being Michael, and his former boss being Michael, and his current boss is Michael. And so, for some reason, mics just got in my head, and I keep wanting to call him Michael. It's like it's Wednesday. With that hump day commercial. Mike, 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 Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, <laughs> are you still playing music or what are you doing nowadays? Well, playing music, uh, exactly what you said with the drama. You know, you have to work with other guys and everyone has their own lives going on. It's really hard just to come together to practice. And some people just have bad habits. Um, not talking smoking cigarettes, um, not talking uh, drinking really, but people just really have bad habits and they bring that to you. So uh, I still tap in my creativity. I still just like to pick up the guitar and play every now and then. Uh, But mostly I've been writing. I've been tapping into writing different stories and I've been doing that for a long time. Actually, before I started uh, in the band way back when, I was working on a novel uh, just before I got sent off to Iraq. And I finished the story in Iraq, came home, realized it wasn't very good, and I <laughs> completely canned it. And I started learning more about writing. I finished up college and and just focused on my studies. I was too much into textbooks to really get into the creative mode. I wasn't reading much fiction or anything. So I was just focusing on my career. So eventually I returned back to writing again. And when I did that, I got serious about it. I started, uh, rather than just learning about writing from high school teachers and professors, I learned it from people who actually wrote novels and wrote stories, people who were storytellers who could go on about poetry and fables, speculative fiction, especially that's the genre that I like, Uh, thrillers, all these great genres and these great storytellers, learning from them to uh, hone my craft and get better at it. So, and then there's the whole act of actual writing where, you know, you mentioned brain fog earlier. That's where you're at when the story starts. Like you don't see anything that's going on, but as you get closer to the objects, the fog kind of clears up and you start seeing structures you start seeing the story and the closer you get to it you actually see the thing there and you can detail it and talk about what you're seeing a lot more clearly at least the details that you want whoever to whoever's reading to hear you know so yeah that's uh that's where i've been at for about the last 10 years trying to figure out this whole writing thing i think i got it figured out though i got a novel that I'm about to finally put out there. And it's not easy. Um, I edited the thing about, I don't know, 25 times or so. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought I was good after three times, like, oh, okay, here's my rough draft, my second draft, and my third, I'm done. No, 
I had about 56,000 words and I was told it was pretty much trash in the nicest way possible. They were like, hey, uh, so you need to work on this a lot. Good luck. Later. How kind of you. So what's your your novel? Is it fiction or is it nonfiction? What what are we working on? Definitely fiction. Um, It's... The genre falls under is speculative fiction, and that includes uh, portal fantasies such as like uh, Wizard of Oz, uh, Alice in Wonderland. Those are all kind of considered fantasies. So, well, these, just like music, like uh, various kinds of bands can have all kinds of titles to what their genre is. Mine would fall under speculative fiction, fantasy, portal fiction. And uh, it's very close to a very dark Wizard of Oz because my uh, protagonist, the hero in the story, falls into Dante's Inferno, a contemporary version, as if uh, in his world, he lived in the same world as Dante, except uh, 600 years later, or 700 years later, actually. And Dante's Inferno is still going on underneath the ground and he, get, he falls up into there and he has to figure things out, you know. <laughs> and he has his own kind of Virgil, like Virgil is guiding uh, Dante through the inferno and and they had divine providence to help him. Like, oh, God said that he could do this, so you're going to let us pass. But uh, Daniel doesn't really have that kind of uh, help. And he, who he has to help him isn't somebody who he admires it's not a famous poet it's not virgil it's a it's a demon who's planning on using him for his own gain so that's uh kind of where the story takes off and and uh really i i thought of this particular character as really crafty like uh this hero falls into hell and you know most people probably say yeah well this isn't where i just was but uh, i did my best to really try to have charles the demon uh trick him into thinking now this is your world you haven't been on this side of the mountain you see you haven't been here but i know how to get you back just follow me and then he takes him deeper until it's by the time he finds out where he is it's just too late you couldn't just go back or maybe he could that he could be tricked easily. And we all been there where, you know, we go into dark places and we're in a bad situation. Some people think, you know, there's no way out of this. And uh, sometimes as, you know, if you're writing, you get yourselves in these positions, like, I don't know how in the world I'm going to get these guys out of this situation. <laughs> now, as if you planned it ahead, there's some people who outline stories and they know exactly how it's going to end. But sometimes you can write yourself in the corners and you really have to help your characters out, not necessarily help them out, but, figure out, get in their head and and see how they're going to brainstorm through that situation. And that's, uh, we go through that uh, ourselves in life. Like tomorrow I have, uh, have to get these kids to, uh, my kids to uh, swim in lessons and soccer and also have a book fair going on <laughs> in a two hour window. I don't think we're going to make it, but there's these scenarios. I don't consider that hell. That's actually a cool thing. You just got too much to do in a small window. It's not too bad. But uh, if we get in these situations like we're homeless or we're uh, just flat out broken, we don't know how we're going to 
pay the rent or we don't know how we're going to feed our kids. Those are situations where it really plays in on our soul. And, but, you know, somehow, some way we tend to work things out. We just got to fight through it, have faith, that kind of stuff. And that's what this story is about. Really. We really do get into dark places. When I was in Iraq, I was in a dark place. I, I was told that I had to go to Iraq. I was, leaving the military i was on my way out but i was i fell under a stop loss so um when you stop loss you can't leave the military the military is giving is pretty much telling you no you're staying in but at that time i was in a i was, I was just overworked i had a full-time job i was in the army reserves and i was going to school and i just couldn't really relax my weekends were dedicated to the military and and like one day a week, I had a day off and I used that to catch up on my schoolwork. And I was just like, man, this is a vicious cycle. I just can't take a break. And that's where the whole story uh, started to bloom from there. But um, I know, you know, I'm not the only one who has these kind of problems. Everyone has issues. Everyone's been in a dark place, even if it's uh, in traffic in Charlotte on a <laughs> game the Panthers are playing or if it's in a grocery line and they couldn't find any toilet paper to last a couple of months and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do about that you know we've all been in these situations and there's a way of working through them so oh definitely yeah. definitely um Michelle you were wanting to say something I was just going to say that, that that sounds like an interesting premise of you know a modern day hero falling into Dante's Inferno I, I think it sounds like it's going to be um, a good read so when is this book coming out uh, we got a few months it's uh, going to be October 1st so yeah um, right now the editor is going through it uh, she's going through it pretty quick last I told she's got me uh, on speed dial and on text but uh, she's just contacting me about little things. Um, she was on chapter six last week and I have 23 chapters. So she's gonna finish pretty quickly. And I'm in the process of really just trying to figure out the marketing thing. Cause you know, just because you put out a book doesn't mean people are gonna read it. Even right. if it's interesting, you know, the book cover helps, but people have to find a way of even seeing the book cover. We don't have brick and mortar stores anymore. And even now, uh, well, we do, but not very many. But um, even now, my uh, publisher, they don't have that kind of uh, pull to just uh, get my book in a brick-and-mortar stores near the front door or even on the back shelf, really. It's something that really needs to start grabbing in order for, uh, for people to see it. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm also working on the second novel and also oh, wow. short stories. I just keep on writing. I have to. Otherwise... Uh, I'll fall into the limbo and not really uh, good anywhere with the writing. But uh, one thing is for sure, once when I put out this novel and people read it and I don't put out another book in the next six months to a year, they're going to be kind of losing interest. Like, well, yeah, that was a pretty interesting book. And maybe three years down the road, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if you ever put out a book. And maybe at that point it would have been out. So I'm trying to... Michelle, she reads a lot, and she has issues with 
authors waiting four years to put out the next series or whatever the case is. I've heard her bitch about it often enough. Well, for example, so I came across the book Aragon. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's about a dragon. It was written by a, a young man named Christopher Paolini. He was actually 14 when he wrote the novel. And it was originally supposed to be a trilogy. And I got into it just as the third book was being released, which I was ecstatic about. But I get to the end of the third book and the story's not done. The author decided that he didn't want to rush to wrap it up in a third book. He wanted to make a fourth book. That's fantastic. But it took him, I don't really know how many years it was, but it felt like four years for that fourth book to come out, I swear. I looked for it and looked for it and looked for it. There'd be a release date. It'd get pushed back, blah, blah, blah. I pre-ordered the fourth book when it came out. It is sitting on my shelf. Do you know to this day I still have not read it? Really? Yes, <laughs> because I was so enraptured by the first three, but they are very dense novels. There's a lot of characters. I mean, think Game of Thrones, but, but for a, a younger audience. And... You know, I really loved it, but I'm going to have to go back to book one and reread them in order to figure out where the hell I was when this fourth book came out to finally get that closure. And I haven't found the time to be able to dedicate to go back and reread so that I can find the end of the story. I just keep picking up new novels. So, I mean, I can definitely see where you could lose a reader's interest doing that. Um, Brian, I was going to ask you, you know, you were talking about brick and mortar stores. Um, have you had an opportunity to talk with your publisher about um, getting yourself on e-platforms like Kindle Unlimited or um, any other types of um, electronic books if you were going to look at starting there. Yeah, that's the aim. Uh, Amazon is the, is the big monster right now. So that's where we're going to be focusing most of that energy. Uh, but yeah, I'm still going to be uh, hitting up local places because this is kind of like my turf. So I feel like I should kind of get out. I don't necessarily need to just sit at the house and invite friends over and like, hey, look at my book. I think it'd be cool to get out to the bookstore and kind of help bring them some business, you know, even though it might not be much, even if it's just like 20 people it would be really cool and, it, and it'll draw eyes to that business. So I think it, that's something I'm planning on doing. Uh, I know there's a couple of bookstores in Greensboro that are pretty cool and they're all for ha letting uh, book release parties happen there. And here in Archdale is really just a library and I, I'll talk to them too. Uh, but um, there's only a small bookstore in High Point now, now that uh, the Barnes and Noble had been closed down a lot of those have been closed down, but I really rather go to a more private owned mom and pop shop really than, mm -hmm. than those kind of large stores. I've, I've been to a book release party at Barnes and Nobles where it's just like a table and a guy sitting there with a stack of books and you go up, talk to them and get to know them for a minute. But it's, I think you can really get more of a person in a, in a store where whoever the owner is you see their soul in a store it's not just some kind of a box filled with shelves and books you, you get their spirit and that's where i would rather do it anyway so 
I think that's going to be really cool. But again, Amazon is is the place to be. Um, that's why independent publishers and small publishers have been doing so well. They don't have to depend on these brick and mortar stores. They just put their book on Amazon and they sit and wait. Some of them uh, market more than others. Some don't market at all because they already have the name out there. They already have the platform. So they just they let it go and keep on writing. Uh, there's different ways to do it too. There's some uh, some ways where you can just publish a series and put out a chapter a month and the reader will buy a chapter for a dollar each month to keep on going. So there's a lot of cool things to do online. Uh, so of course, a lot of people have some issues with Amazon because if my book is uh, kind of, uh, if they find it to be inappropriate, it could be banned, you know. It has happened, but it's more, not so much with fiction. It's more with uh, nonfiction where that happens. Yeah, so I might dodge a bullet. I've read some pretty, I would say, racy things on my Kindle Unlimited. So, um, typically, I'm I'm all about fiction. I like anything typically that's fantasy. Um, if I'm, you know, in a mood, I could go something as young adult as Harry Potter, or, you know, I could go for the reverse harem fiction where you've got, you know, a woman with three love interests, and, um, you know, I I think that there's a pretty good mix and not a lot of censorship at least from my experience on on the kindle platform for amazon so out of curiosity okay other than writing your book what like if i was wanting to write a book tomorrow what are the next steps like where would i go to get it published where would i go to get it edited i mean how does all that work well the first thing is writing the book so, but if you got a book and you're ready to go to the next step, you you want to get professional help. Uh, me, not meaning just uh, you probably want to shrink because it is a he, it is he, a he very <laughs> it is very crazy thing that you put yourself through when you write a book. It's very intensive and you, people really psych themselves out on the way because uh, people start thinking about word count like oh I need to get to seventy five thousand words. And I'm at 55 and the book's done. I need, oh, I'll know what I'll do. I'll go back in, add a bunch of adjectives and a bunch of adverbs, and I'll bring up my word count. And, and that's, and that's like the up, worst thing. Then you wind up like Stephen King, who has a book that's 1,001 pages. And I'm talking about it. I don't know if you've ever read it. I sat down and read it last year. And over half of it was not necessary. I was so mad by the end of that book. You see, I'm He gets away with stuff. Yeah, I've always heard that was one of the greatest books ever written. I don't know. It's it's the second book by Stephen King that I've ever read, and I found that in both of them he was too descriptive and and as specific as a person as I am. I really enjoy the description, but he would go too far in one direction, and it wasn't relevant to the story. There was. You would expect for it to come back around somewhere. Why did they go to this place? You know, the significance of looking at the butterfly or whatever. And it's just shit. It's it's filler. <laughs> Sounds like The Walking Dead. Just look at the pretty flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen King has put out a good book on writing. Um, but yeah, he goes he goes into a lot of a lot of angles in his stories and. Probably my favorite book by his is actually a newer one, which is Dr. Sleep. I, I just really went right through that book, and that's like the sequel to The Shining. 
Um, but I also liked his Dark Tower series, but I didn't like every book in the series. My favorite actually was the last book. Uh, most people swear by the Gunslinger as the favorite. It was interesting enough for me to keep reading, but my favorite was the uh, the Dark Tower book itself, the very last one. How many of those but, um, are there? Do you know? Uh, there's seven, but he went back and did a, a another another filler story. Uh, it wasn't really a filler. He it was a uh, called Went Through the Keyhole. I think it's called. <laughs> I'm getting crashed by uh, my youngest, James. Yeah, you need to go to bed, buddy. So, I mean, I'm just going to hook him up with a... Uh, yeah, I'm going to put this right here one more time and then close your eyes, okay? You're going to go to sleep this time? He said no. You better. <laughs> See, I, I'm strapped here. I can't just go in there and just rile him up and tape him to the wall like I do on other nights. But uh, maybe he might chill out. Go lay down. Wait, see, that's when they're fun. Wait till they get their teenage years, and you just want to take them and squeeze them by their little throats until their head pops off. <laughs> oh, I'm dreading that, but we'll see. I, I taught high school for a little bit. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I, key words are, are a little bit. I didn't really stick around very long. And I, I do uh, commend teachers out there. It's a hard job because... If you're teaching for the state, you have to fall in line with uh, the curriculum that they have, and they want you to read from certain textbooks and certain stories, and that's not really me. I have, I have to, I, I prefer to read literature that interests me. If I have to read something that doesn't interest me, I'm not going to interest the kids. So I wasn't really the best teacher. I did like some stories in high school, though, but I'll digress. Uh, about that but you see me if i were a teacher i would end up in jail because i would kill a kid you know yeah, that's a that's a crime <laughs> exactly i'm well you see i'm 41 now and as a 41 year old go f yourself if i have this little snot nose little penny wearing punk piss little i don't know 17 year old start getting mouthy i'm going to drop kick them I'm just like, dude, I've lived through a hell of a lot more than you. Go F yourself. Get the hell out of my class before I throw you out. <laughs> I cannot stand. <laughs> just like my kids. I mean, I've got a 12 and a 17 year old. I cannot stand back talking. You know what I mean? Just, mm, yeah, just want to drop kick them in the back of the forehead and uh, deal with the consequences later. Tell us how you really feel. That's how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's hard to deal with teenagers. Uh, they're in a point, especially middle school. I think middle school is like the worst. It's like the the dregs for, you know, growing up. Because for some reason, from sixth grade to eighth grade, the kids are just exposed to so much. They're going through puberty and adolescence. And everyone just thinks they're hot stuff. And they're not going to die. And they're they can badass. just do whatever they want. They're going to be the baddest the best and all that. and then they get into high school and it's kind of they're they're starting to think that they really know it all and it's uh just part of growing up is it, there's a the sarcasm too because they start really getting clever and creative 
sarcasm, especially in high school. And you hear that as a, with a kid over there talking about something ridiculous or just want to drive on with your lesson and try to point them in a better direction. And sometimes it just doesn't work with some kids. It's just uh, unfortunate, but some kids just have other things on their mind. Yeah. Actually, all of them have other things on their mind, but some are <laughs> completely terrible things. Right. <laughs> no kidding. So you were saying you were in Afghanistan. Is that right? Oh, no, I was in Iraq. Iraq, um, Iraq. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what people, uh, what I did was pretty interesting. See, my MOS was 13 Delta. That's like the field artillery uh, fire direction control. And uh, I stayed with the tactical operations center most of the time, just to kind of direct fires, let them know what kind of uh, ammunition they're going to be using for their, whatever they're going to be using. And I, and I did that mostly on Fort Bragg. Um, but when it was time for Iraq, my job was completely different. I was placed on what's called a national police transition team where we worked with Iraqi national police forces in their jurisdictions in Iraq to help them take over basically. Cause uh, this is back in 2007 where we were pretty much giving up our security posture and letting the Iraqis take a better, more forward stance in their security posture. And there's uh, the MIT teams, which is the military transition teams and uh, pit teams, the police transition teams but I was working with the national police teams and that's more like, um, they're more like the national guard, but they do have more of a policing thing going. They're not getting together just for a once a month kind of deal. They're, uh, they're out patrolling and doing stuff. A lot of it, there's plenty of corrupt people there too. We were near Sodder city, which was the, the big problem spot in 2007. So we just, went there every day we were at a small base called cop callahan is a um, combat outpost is what that is and it was named after a soldier from the 82nd who had died early on in deployment is a big old concrete mall that had been completely gutted and we went in there and we just uh, embedded ourselves with the 82nd and just down the street not even a mile away was the national police team the national police headquarters that we were attached to. So we went there every day and we went with them on patrols. We just went there and talked to them about helping them figure things out. You have to work with those, those folks a certain way because you can't just tell them what to do. You kind of got to give them the idea that they came up with a good idea themselves and have them go and do it. Cause they, they were not, they did not want to really put themselves at risk because they lived in that country and there was still a, insurgencies there and if they left and they were no longer in didn't have their buddies around them to protect them they get on the bus go down the street and somebody might just jerk them off and just pop them in the back of the head you know is that kind of danger for them so they were kind of reluctant to go out there and do what they were supposed to be doing so we'd have to do things to kind of uh you know push your buttons like when was a rescue mission there's a a U.S. contractor and some Iraqis that were kidnapped and were being held in a certain location. And, hey, guys, this is in your jurisdiction. Let's go. And they're like, oh, 
Oh, I'm not going right. anywhere. <laughs> I know, no, this is a time thing. This They could be moved already. We need to go and try to save them now. Oh, well, after we, you know, like, well, you know, if you if you were to actually save this U.S. contractor, imagine the kind of publicity you would get as being the Iraqi police officer who were who was to head over there and save this U.S. contractor. Let's go. And so that's how we would kind of get them to get going and do things. Um, that's kind of a more obvious thing. By the way, they had moved that U.S. contractor, but we found the Iraqis were left behind. So it was fast-moving thing. Someone had tipped them off that we were coming, and they moved that guy, unfortunately. Um, hopefully he was found. I don't know what happened. But um Another example is humanitarian missions. Some of these places didn't have any electricity at all for years since the first time that U.S. rolled over Iraq. You know, uh, this guy came up next to the next to the Iraqi headquarters there and was like tossing his arms out, screaming, begging for help. An older guy and older guys are like, you're supposed to revere these guys. Right. And I saw two Iraqi soldiers, uh, well, national policemen go up to him and kind of laugh at him and just uh, wave a hand at him, like, get out of here, you old guy, and walk away. And I just, I got on the radio because I was pulling security out there because we couldn't all just go in a building and be all hoorah and happy with And We had to pull guard, make sure nothing crazy was going on out there as well. I just uh, uh, got on the phone and talked to our S2, which is our intelligence officer. And he went out there and he questioned them with our one of our interpreters and found out that they didn't have medicine in this particular area for years. They didn't have electricity either. And this is early in our deployment. This like really probably saved our lives. We were able to uh, set up a humanitarian mission with the Iraqis in the 82nd to help restore power and get medical aid to some of these people that just didn't have it for a long time. And we're looking at kids going in there and they're smiling, just beautiful kids, but they've been through hell. You know, and they're just getting a little bit of a reprieve, even if they're getting just medicine, a smiling face, just an adult that they could trust. You know, and they probably still have that, but just seeing uh, that these horrible Americans that they probably heard at some point not being mean to them, trying to help them was probably enough to, you know, win over some hearts and minds, at least in our area. We didn't have anyone directly target our team when we were on patrol, and we were on patrol every day. And we did see people get um, get IEDs and stuff. And there might have been one that could have been set up for us, but they, we just didn't go out at that time. It was it went off early with a striker team was coming to the uh, to our uh, combat outpost. They unfortunately uh, got hit with it, uh, but we we got mortared all the time. We got it, it was a that building, like I said, was concrete and it was very stable. So the mortars would come and hit and, you know, we it was just nothing. We would like take bets on how many mortars we were going to get that day, wow, you know, that's it was 16, 23, 30. But the, the big thing, the real thing that I'll never forget are the rocket attacks when uh, they always came first thing in the morning and something you learn in the military, uh, especially if you're in the field artillery and I'm sure they, teaching and all the other um, military occupations as well is S2 where um, our stand stand to, I'm 
see I'm getting old. It's been over 10 years where you get quiet, you turn off the generators, you stand still and you listen. That's always at the break of dawn because that's when most of these attacks happen. And both times when we got these rocket attacks was at the break of dawn. And uh, we, the first time we didn't have concrete walls set up around the building and they just had a car sitting out there and tarp over it and dark at night. And as soon as the light started coming out, the rockets hit the side of the building and it got one guy's legs, everyone else was fine. And that guy, he lived through, but you know, he was sleeping on one end of his cot and he just couldn't sleep. So he decided to go to the other side of his cot and he lost his legs rather than his head. And, you know, um, he did live on. He went on to um, Germany from there. And good luck to him if he's listening. Uh, I'm sure it's been been crazy. But so, um, so yeah. What what was the significance of the morning attacks? Well, I don't know all the uh, all the facts on this stuff. There's a lot of people who are a lot more skilled and went through the schools of knowing the, the strategy of it. But my thoughts is, you know, they have time to think about it. Um, in the shroud of night, they're able to get out there and set something up undetected. Now we have, we have night vision, but there's also around this building, there's all kinds of uh, buildings and small structures that they could use to, to hide their full, awesome. their full plans, you know? So yeah. it's sort of like if you're in a fight, you know, uh, you might not let someone know that you're really skilled at it. You might throw the idea that you might be a little bit more inebriated than you really are. And then you just shock them with how well balanced you are all of a sudden, you know? <laughs> right. So it's a, it's a lot of trickery involved. So they got, they used the shroud at night, they used cover even though we got night vision goggles it's not completely perfect you know and that's their best chance really uh, they would never stand up toe to toe with the u.s military and they know that and, i mean even if they tried and they were brave uh it might be 10 of them against 100 really well-trained soldiers right. and so they would really struggle with that so it's pretty much um using the night to get into place and into position, then sooner as daybreak, boom, attack. Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's just a, that's a, that was a standard thing, but again, there's some people who know a lot more about it than me. I'm I'm I, my uh, mother-in-law always asked me, well, what do you think about what's going on in Ukraine? I'm like, you know, I've been out of this for a while, you know. Yeah, but I want your thoughts. You were in it. You know, it's been over 10 years. Well, see, I, I was about to ask bit. you about Ukraine, too. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Try to. Well, <laughs> surely you have an opinion on should we be there helping Ukraine or should we not? Because I have my own opinion on, on it, which I'll give that here in a minute, unless you want to hear it first. So, <laughs> oh, I, actually, I think uh, we are helping to some extent. You know, right? I, mean, I know we're sending uh, weapons we... and stuff like that, but should we yeah. put feet boots on the ground? Basically, that's. I don't think the government will do that, but you know, there are already soldiers. I've heard about a, a really killer canadian sniper who just took it upon himself to go over there 
and I can imagine some of the some Americans and Europeans who are just have that who have a taste for war and want more of it. And I'm not going to say that the governments are wanting to get involved, but there are people who are right. addicted to the fight. You know, um, right. I've heard about these people. I've never met them. Like everyone who on my team, they weren't. A lot of them want to just go back to their families, and they were career. Their career military men. They're still they're still involved. The guy who led my team, he's he's high ranking guy now. But um, honestly, um, most people that I know didn't want it. But there's people, and I, I've heard of them. I've heard stories about them. They they love the fight, and um, they're gonna they're if they can get over there. They're going to join in. Oh yeah, the so there's Americans fighting who are really capable, who know all about it, who can, who can like chess masters. And see, so. I know um like some people in my family. They're worried that if we get involved, then we're going to end up. It's going to end in a nuclear war with a nuclear bomb being dropped on the U.S. So they're prepping. Um, which, you know, I think everybody should be prepared, you know, with six months worth of food and water. And outside of that, I mean, really, if let's say if it's a nuclear bomb that goes off, I mean, what's the chances of surviving that? If you survive the blast, you still have the, the what, next 10 years of nuclear winter and shit? You that better you have bend to... over and kiss your ass goodbye. <laughs> right. So, I mean... What would you? What are you going to prep for? You know what I mean. So that's yeah. that's kind of my question is: are, if you're prepping for a nuclear war, good luck. <laughs> if, but I mean, if it's going to be like Red Dawn or something where Russians are start dropping in and taking over s- specific cities, then you know that would be something you could pre- prepare for to an extent, as long as you're not in a big city. <laughs> But I mean, what do you foresee happening in the near future if America was to put boots on the ground in Ukraine? Not sure. Um, honestly, a lot of people have been looking at Alaska as a as a possible target for Russia if they were ever to get into conflict with us. So I, w- I would imagine if things were really going south, there would, you would hear a lot more about things going on in Alaska as far as a military stance. But wow, honestly, Alaska. I, I Alaska used to belong to Russia, right. and it's very close to Russia. It's on the eastern side. But the issue, the trouble that would be is that Russia would be fighting on two fronts. Uh, I don't know if um, right now, I don't think that's even in the cards. I don't think we have to worry about that. I think they're going to continue to try to battle it out in Ukraine. It's still really early. Um, I, I, I I hate it, but, um, you know, Russia just doesn't want to let go of their rim of influence. And Ukraine has been more influenced by the by the West than Russia ever wanted. Right. So they're seeing Ukraine kind of slip away and they're like, no, 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 you're going to stay here. And so the I mean, thing is, is uh, uh, the, the thing that I don't get there is like, uh, we don't want, they don't want NATO on their borders, but if they were to take over Ukraine, they're going to have NATO on their borders. They're going to have NATO <laughs> on their borders. Yeah. And they, and they, See, they like, had that all for a while, like with uh, Poland 
Normandy. They they were all on Russian borders, but those that was also a different time, different different horrible leader, uh, Stalin, you know. <laughs> but uh, and if he could live with it, why couldn't these guys? But uh, either way, it's it's a big old mess. Uh, I hope it hope it ends. It's going to everything is going to end in diplomacy at some point. I don't know when. It's already gone too far, I think. But we well, see. I've always he wants heard, what he wants. I've always heard Russia's got this Billy badass of a military. Like they've got all this special equipment that would just come in and wipe us out, and they could do this, they could do that, blah blah blah. But then they're going into Ukraine and they're getting their ass kicked. So it's kind of like, um, if this is the this ain't the Russia I've always heard about. So I mean. What do you? What's going on there? I mean, is it their B squad, or is, or are they actually really trying to take over Ukraine? Well, what I heard is that they were completely blindsided. They thought that they were going into Ukraine, and that the people were going to love them for it. They were thinking that the people weren't liking their rulers. They thought that they were going to get flowers and stuff tossed their way. And see, I've, I've they, heard that same. I've heard that same thing. That's what I've heard, and of course, we, we don't know if what's right. true sometimes because there's there's a lot of misinformation that's thrown out. Oh, yeah. these kind a of lot of things, propaganda but, on both oh, yeah. both sides of it. You know, yeah. I've heard that Russia's kicking their ass. I've heard they're kicking Russia's ass. But you know, Russia thought that they would be in be in and out within three days, and they would have Ukraine taken over and we're on what week two now and there's still isn't it week three okay week three then. it's week three okay it's still young you know um yeah. i think it took the nazis a while to take uh poland and i think we gave poland a lot of a lot of trouble with how quickly they were overran i think i think the thing was like uh they were out there with their horses going after tanks and stuff i i can't remember right. <laughs> remember but there was a whole thing back in our times. I don't think they say it anymore, but, but people would just say as dumb as a Pollock. And that was all about <laughs> the the World War II fight that they tried to put up with the, the Germans back then. But I can't be totally sure. But um, they st- it's still young, this whole conflict, even though it's, it seems like it's been dragging on for some right. time now. It's reaching into a month. But it's... Uh, Combat's changed, you know. Urban warfare is not easy. Taking over a town is not easy. Right. Uh, Russians struggled in Afghanistan. While we fought in Afghanistan, we had trouble with it because just the way that uh, the Taliban is able to influence uh, different tribes, you know. So this is definitely not Afghanistan. This is a a, a very westernized kind of country. It's a uh, uh, Eastern Europe, you know, and yeah. they have very good, solid civilization. They had their own Dancing with the Stars, and that's why <laughs> the president was a part of it at one point, the movie star and everything. So, yeah. we well, see, like, um, a buddy of mine was saying, like, the tanks that they're using are tanks from World War Two. They're no, they're not modern. It's not modern equipment that's going into Ukraine. They're using, and they're running out of fuel, and um, some of the soldiers are purposely puncturing holes in the fuel tanks so they don't have to go in Ukraine. Some of the soldiers are like, why are we going into Ukraine? They don't understand why or know why, so they're basically surrendering as soon as they get in there. So I've, I've heard all, all kind of stories, but yeah. um, but that's what, what I was kind of getting at is this their B squad, and 
is there something else that basically sleight of hand type thing while everybody's focused on Ukraine, Putin's really aligning himself with China and then they're about to attack the U.S. So, or... Uh, (laughs) I don't don't think they want to do that. Um, China has its own interests. From what I'm saying with Ukraine, they don't want to come here. (laughs) We still got our guns. And they're finding out that even though they're not really fighting the United States government, they're fighting people, not just Ukrainians. There's other, there's people in Europe who definitely went into that country and they say, oh, they want to fight. Well, I do too. You know, they're really fighting people who enjoy the fight and they look forward to the bullet flying past their head. And and their young soldiers without any experience are going up against people with a lot of experience. Russia hasn't been in all kinds of conflicts recently they do have people who are experienced in russia don't get me wrong but they got young soldiers and from what i understand they're just uh the way that russia's always worked like go 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 attack 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 and sort of like how um grant won the civil war you know he just sent people go 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 and a lot of young men uh, lost their lives because of course the strategy is not looking out for the young soldier is just uh, putting manpower to take away these bullets and get closer to the enemy and drive them down into the ground. It's, it's not good. It's, it's not the kind of country I would want to serve. And the, and the Army, you know, Marines in the United States Armed Services, we really, I say we because, you know, we all did work together along with um, other forces overseas we really didn't try to just put ourselves in harm way to, for nothing right. if we got injured got hurt it wasn't because our our leader said okay take Go off away. all your gear because it's going to weigh you down i want you to sprint to that line and just keep shooting you know they will not do that right you know? right um are you religious at all oh yeah i'm the whole dante's inferno thing i am okay. Uh, the, re- the reason I ask, um, there's a podcast I've been listening to for the past, I don't know, month or so. They brought up an interesting thing about Revelations that this battle with Russia and Ukraine right now was already is basically in Revelations. It's part of the uh, the ba- battle of the po- apocalypse, if you will. And basically that's Russia aligning with China, aligning with Turkey, and I forget what the other country was but all those countries coming together to pretty much it's a battle in in of europe at that point um but what i thought was funny is the u.s really didn't mentioned in revelations during this battle you know they eventually of course take over israel and um i think that's one of the battles that's because the U.S. didn't exist when Revelations was written. Well, I don't think Russia did either. <laughs> well, I'm sure there were people colonized there. Well, there were people colonized here. No. <laughs> yeah. The United States is the youngest out of all countries. Right, baby. But, but the landmass was. That's all I'm getting at. Okay. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, do you think people in Israel, where all of Christianity birthed from knew that the United States existed and that there were 
Native Americans here or you know anybody else? No. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going off of what I heard, okay? <laughs> but do you have do you give any uh, ideas to that? Sure. I wanted to mention one thing about uh, one thing where the U.S. did mess up, though. Uh, we were when we were in Iraq early on, we didn't have armored vehicles so much. And there was the biggest issue was IEDs. And uh, there was a bit of a backlog in providing more armored vehicles. So that could be a sense where there was a, where the U.S. might not have been looking out for the soldiers so much. I wanted to mention that because I didn't, I didn't know that, that was a very serious issue uh, back in the early 2000s. Uh, but about um, the wars and rumors of wars, that's going to pass. That's going to happen. So uh, no one knows when the day and time comes, but the Battle of Megiddo, uh, the Armageddon, the yes. war of all wars, uh, Nis Jamas predicts it's going to happen way, way, way in the future and all this stuff. Uh, it's hard to, and there's a, there's all kinds of uh, symbolism and stuff where people see China and Russia as the armies in the East and the armies in the West are all going to come to Israel where it all will take all takes place. place. Yes. So, and one thing that is interesting, I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is true or not, but in the West, we kind of write from uh, left to right towards Israel and on the East side, they write from uh, right to left towards Israel. Someone mentioned that to me. I just thought that was always interesting. But um, aside from that, there seems that I don't know if that's going to be the thing, but a lot of people who are interested in Bible prophecy will always come to these things now, especially since World War II, uh, after which where Israel was brought back into being a nation. And then what even really helps that is where you know we had egypt and other surrounding countries around israel try to take israel down and they were repulsed in six days that's the famous six-day war there's a lot of rumors about uh, a lot of supernatural things happening when these countries are much bigger than israel wasn't able to take it over now israel had a lot of support from powerhouses like the united states you know they had best of the best equipment right then but you know egypt was no pushover and they still aren't but uh you just see how powerful israel is they have a really strong military and a really good and uh, intelligence group honestly but um when it comes to armageddon there's been so many times when people said you know year 2000 you know and oh, yeah, uh, I remember that. 2012 Y2K. now wars uh, with this kind of war anything that's involved with russia and china great powerhouses people are going to have these worries and rightfully so that's people worry um honestly but what's what they also say in the bible is look to the lilies you know there's going to be wars and rumors of wars don't let these things like take hold of you you can't live a life in fear right now if you if you want to be responsible and you're really concerned about nuclear warfare or anything like that. Yeah, you, know, you can take precautions, get yourself food, take care of your family, but you should also look out for your neighbor too. You're not supposed to be like, my neighbor's gonna come and steal my stuff. And of course, in the world we live in, it's probably <laughs> gonna happen. They're gonna come and try to steal your stuff, but it's also better to make peace and have brotherhood. And of course, that's all great, but you know, we live in a place where it's kind of hard to trust the people across the street exactly. sometimes. 
in my neighborhood, yeah, it's real hard to trust the people. <laughs> it's really, it really but, um, is. It's a, you know, if you look at like Revelations, where um, right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right, um, there's this point where it talks about men will look like women and women will look like men. Everything will pretty much becomes reverse. And you know, looking around at the times right now, that's kind of what we have. I mean, one of my I'll, friends in the army mentioned something about this years ago, and he was just a he was a E four at the time. I was an E four. Now what's and an E4? he mentioned uh, as a specialist, that's like a high ranking private. Okay. Uh, so it's same as a corporal without any of the leadership. You know, so corporal we E four specialist. Uh, kind of looks at a corporal like, yeah, what do you do? Uh, anyways, uh, uh, digressing from that, one thing he mentioned that he always thought was interesting was how the Roman Empire fell. Uh, part of the thing that messed up the Roman Empire is the way that they started to just let loose on morality. Uh, men were dressed more like women and being more womanly, you know, yeah, uh, more feminine. feminized and stuff. And he, he was just saying that and he's like, and that's starting to happen here in the United States. It could be the downfall of the United States. But um, I don't know. It, one thing I see is uh, the world is kind of, kind of turned upside down where if you forget, if you go in, if I were to go on Facebook and tell someone my heart, my thoughts and prayers are with you. And all of a sudden, you know, I could get like a thousand people just butchering me, you know, thoughts and prayers. Yeah, right. Whatever. You yeah. know, take your thoughts and prayers and shove, and them. shove them where. <laughs> yeah. And it's just it's that kind of that kind of spirit that's kind of hovering there. It's it's a selfish kind of thing. And it's it's been driven a lot by the Internet and social media, I think, because uh, when we're on the computer and we're typing our words on our computer and we hit enter and we see our words on the screen and anybody else who has anything to say about that well they don't matter because this is it, it kind of turns people selfish i think and um sometimes people are right and some pe times people are wrong and they have to understand that it's and other people are not always idiots. Some people get just caught up in that horrible, nasty spirit and just go to dark, dark places. Like um, some people, and I say spirit, people get like, oh, oh, goodness. But I feel things in places. Like you go to a football game, you feel a spirit in the stadium. If you're pulling for a certain team, you have like a team spirit right there with that particular team same thing with basketball you're a unc fan i like dude we could go at it now just because i said that like oh let's let's have a conversation yeah. about that last well, Duke that sucks, last sorry. game <laughs> let's have a conversation about dean smith and coach k but um again there's this whole spirit thing like in the concert you go i love metallica i go to metallica i'm around people who love metallica as well there's a whole spirit to that and it's, i feel the same kind of thing in church you know if i go when i'm in church i feel you know a spirit in the church and it's not just from the people it's just the place the being the the, the presentation the anticipation what you expect and um now in america and in other places there's this whole thing like what are, what are we going to be 
worried about today? What are we going to be upset about today? Who is going to offend us today? What do we need to be really righteous about today? And uh, people are just looking for that because they want people want to go viral. You know, I, I'm thinking of marketing, right? And I'm wanting <laughs> to put my put my work out there so people will read it. And, well, and some people easy. take I that to a level where they just want to go. They want all this attention, all, all and they go real dark. Trump and take your book and Photoshop it in Trump's hand with the headline saying, this is the greatest book ever. <laughs> it's tremendous. <laughs> You'll go viral. <laughs> oh, yeah. All, all publicity is good publicity, right? <laughs> exactly. And a lot of times yeah. negative publicity is better than great publicity. <laughs> or positive. That's true. <laughs> That's but true. Not, yeah, as polarizing as he is, you know, some people some people have to admit that they were wrong, you know, with the Russia collusion things, uh, and also uh, and then there's a there's a third debate that was missed too, and that was on uh, you know world relations, you know, foreign relations, and that uh, didn't happen, and um, and there was a and part of that goes back to Ukraine, that whole issue with Ukraine, and they wanted to. Uh, put that in the spotlight and they do that whole impeachment at the same time there's something going on in China and people are getting sick and they're not worried about that let's go after the, the bad guy who uh, tried to tell Ukraine that hey if they do this we'll do that and let's go after him that's very bad we've been trying to get him out for a while and this is our chance we need to do this so. we well, see there's um I have a theory that the reason we're not putting boots on the ground in Ukraine is because we want Putin to remove, uh, what's his name, Z Zelensky, because Zelensky has a lot of dirt on Biden. <laughs> so that's just hmm. a thought, just a theory of mine. But yeah, now, I'm not saying I that. think we should. I don't think we should put boots on the ground. I don't think we need to be involved. However, and this is where I contradict myself. We did take all their nukes from them back in the 90s and with the promise that, hey, if somebody messes with you, we got your back. So in a sense, we're, we're kind of obligated to kind of go over there and help Ukraine out, are we not? Well, they've been giving them some supplies to help them out. You know? I don't know if they really want to put Americans back on the ground. Um, they really screwed up in Afghanistan. And, you know, oh, that was yeah. a horrible, horrible, I mean, as a, I, I had never served in Afghanistan. I have friends who did. And I, I didn't even really need to talk to them to know how enraged how bad, they were. I just shit. felt it. Yeah. Now, and I've they don't want to make another gaffe. They're, I've always thought that, you know, in anytime we, whenever we were going to pull out of Afghanistan, it was going to be a cluster no matter if Trump was in office, Biden, Obama, whomever, because we've been there for 20 years, I don't think there was a good way of getting out. Not to say that, not to say that Biden didn't royally fuck up a lot of shit, that he could have handled things differently, but I still think it would have been a cluster, regardless. Yeah. It was on the plan, you know, um, from what I understand, that was... Trump's plan. He was planning on pulling out. Right. The way it happened, though, it was uh, it's quite interesting. I, 
I don't really remember so much of it because there's just so much that's happened since then, which is crazy. But um, one thing I do remember is that there is this whole idea that Trump had talked to, had made some kind of deal with the Taliban about moving out. There was a, I don't remember much discussion with the Afghan government or any discussions that were taking place at that time, but it was a, I do remember hearing that. I always thought that was kind of interesting that there was this discussion between Trump and Taliban about some kind of treaty kind of thing, peace treaty thing, and U.S. getting out of town. There had not been many uh, military deaths at that time. There was like a big window. I can't remember if it was six months or a year year. that... It was a full full year that there were no U.S. casualties at all. Yeah, and Afghan... Afghanistan was kind of holding up on its own. But as soon as like a few thousand Americans get out of there, it just completely fell apart. Falls apart. Imploded. And you see horrible images like, you know, they they talk about that image of the helicopter leaving Saigon being, you know, iconic of that time. And one of the iconic pictures we have that's going to be iconic for years are those Afghan uh, people who were hanging on to the wheels of the plane and the wings of the that C-130, I believe it was, that was about to just the last one leaving out and you see them falling off as yeah. it gets into the sky, you know, that's going to be something that's going to stick around for, for ages, you know, just oh, yeah. like uh, I could bring up 9-11, those buildings falling and the crazy stories that took place over that, you know? Yeah. So do you think that, um, okay, since you brought up 9-11, do you think that was an inside job or do you think that, Taliban brought them down. Do you believe, in other words, do you believe, do you believe the official story or do you think it was a conspiracy theory? I don't think it was a conspiracy theory. I don't, I, I I don't, I won't say it's Taliban because I believe those guys were all from Saudi Arabia. They might've been trained in Afghanistan because they had terrorist camps over there. But, um, I won't say it was a conspiracy. I don't believe that. Right. Uh, I know there's other people that are already like, oh my goodness, oh, yeah. he doesn't know what he's talking about. But it's like the the one, the only reason I even um, attempt to give the conspiracy theories clout is Building Seven collapsing. I think it was like six blocks away from the actual towers, and the official story was that the damage from the towers is what brought down building seven. And I'm like, that don't make sense because all these other buildings between building seven and the towers, you know what I mean? That's the only reason I even give it a little bit of time of, okay, possibly, but I don't, I, I never thought it was an inside job, but who knows? I don't think we'll ever know. (laughs) But yeah, there is a, I remember as Michael Moore was uh, talking about how poorly George Bush handled it. I think he handled it the best he could. Cause I remember one of the documentaries he put out showed, uh, Hey, look, these planes just hit buildings and look at George Bush. He's just sitting in a kindergarten classroom doing yeah. nothing. Like what, but what, I, th- I, what was I, I think he supposed he did it. to do. That's my question about that. Like, yeah, you yeah. know, if he would, uh, you know, took off, 
real quick, say, oh, my God, there's a problem, you know, would have freaked the kids out, you know. Everybody it would have freaked more than the kids exactly. out. There's everybody else in the nation who's already exactly. freaked out. If the president just starts off acting panicked. Exactly. Uh, to me, I think he, he handled it as he should have because everybody that's involved are handling things. That's the beauty of being the president. You you put people in place to handle situations like that. So once he got finished with his his book reading, he could stand up. Y'all ha- y'all have a big day now. Yeah. <laughs> and walk out and then handle business, you know. Because I don't think there was anything more he could have done at that point. So the whole Michael Moore, he's a blooming idiot anyways. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's always uh, going to be haters, you know. Oh, yeah. Especially in politics. And you see, I'm not a Bush, I'm not a Bush fan by no means. I've think he his first term i was on board with him second term i was done you know what i mean just but i didn't want help honestly there's not been a presidential candidate up until trump that i thought could handle it even trump i was skittish on but once he got in i saw what he was actually doing or trying to do and I agreed with him. And then with seeing how he was treated and done by the far, the crazy media, well, the media, the far leftists and the damn squishy Republicans. That's like, okay, that's my guy right there. You know, it's like after the whole Russia collusion for two years, you know, two years of investigations and, constant bombardment from the media and your Adam Schiff characters and all it's like you know what the man's doing his job you know as soon as the words that um, Robert Mueller said there's no evidence of that Trump colluded with anyone from Russia it's like okay that's it I'm done with it <laughs> uh, he didn't even do what he did with the Tom Brady he was like it's likely that Tom Brady deflated those footballs or had those guys deflate <laughs> the footballs because he wouldn't turn over his phone and show everything but he didn't go there with uh, Trump There's a, they were trying to pick out things from that report I remember they were trying to make there was something there but it just it just wasn't and, and it's a shame because that what people really don't realize and maybe some of them do Maybe they've forgotten, but we got that for two years every day. Yeah. Every single day, every Sunday show, every Monday through Friday evening world news report. <laughs> yeah. And it was, and it took precedence. It was everything. It yeah. was the first leading story every single time. Uh, Rachel Maldow, when she had hits taxes was a big story. And then when they, when she, did that show she got all those viewers and only to say yeah we really don't have anything and yep. um and everyone kind of gave her bad eyes and and hell and uh, we roasted for, her for a minute we listened for four years not my president um that he stole the election i mean even hillary clinton all of them and then now you've got i truly believe biden stole the election um now you got this and oh we're tired of hearing that i'm like First off, it's it's only been a year and a half now. You're gonna you still got two and a half more years of listening to this this shit because y'all stole it. <laughs> I know some 
I know there's a lot of people who feel that. I, I just, I don't know. It's a, if we get to that point where we're going to say that the election is rigged and people are going to forget that it's really important to vote. And right. while it's not a perfect system, uh, I think what people can really point to uh, if they really want to say the odds were against Trump, that everyone was against Trump, it was the crazy polls that were put out there and just uh, the kind of things that people said that he wrecked the economy. And, and you know, they like, oh, the, y'all said the economy was so good. I, re- I remember early in 2000, like, what are they going to do? Because everyone's loving life. The economy is great. And then COVID happens and people you know, conspiracy theories come out, you know, of course, this was a complete horrible change of lifestyle. It really flipped our world upside down. You were talking about things just going haywire. Good is evil and evil is good. You take your daughter to the park and throw the ball to her, you're going to get arrested. We came into that kind of world. Yeah. You go outside and you wear a mask. If you go in a store and wear a mask uh, a few years ago, you were going to get arrested. Right. But if you came into the store without a mask, a couple of years ago, you're you're going to get arrested, or you're going to get carried out, or beaten up by someone who's just saying you're trying to kill my grandparents, or you're trying to kill yeah. somebody because you're not wearing a mask. You really got into some crazy things, and you know, I was thinking that election, like I was thinking if Trump won, you know, there's going to be riots everywhere. I I was just thinking that, you know, I really, I really was thinking that while we already had all this kind of division in America in all kinds of ways um, that if Trump won that people are just going to flip out. Um, you know, I can see how why people might think it's rigged, but I think that voting is very important and that we should honor that. I, I don't think, I don't think that my dad thinks it. I don't think that it was, uh, it was rigged. I just don't. I think that there's things that happened that just were unfortunate and it went against Trump's uh, crowd. Like people in Arizona, a lot of older folks in Arizona were feeling like he wasn't doing enough to make them feel better about coronavirus. Then there's uh, some people I heard and it was the first debate about, you know, just how he was in the first debate. But of course, that was with Chris Wallace and Biden, there was just all this back and forth going on. But when he called on the Proud Boys, I was like, why in the world would you wanna bring them up? Biden says, uh, Proud Boys, and he jumps right on it and says, Proud Boys, stand by and stand down. It's like, come on, dude, you got the US military. Yeah. Like, screw the Proud Boys, right. you know? And that kind of stuff came back to haunt him. Like, it's just uh, it's just unfortunate because uh, I do felt like I, I do feel like he would have done better in a third debate with the uh, with uh, foreign relations, but he really messed up in that first debate. And some people don't look past that first debate, and that's I think he lost some people, especially uh, See, I agree uh, with that. white female. And he, of course, uh, again, COVID, uh, people will always look at that what did he they would think of him as being 
the one who messed that up. A lot of people, especially in a presidential election, people, COVID, 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 we're going to, we're going to beat COVID. He's promising all these viruses and all these vaccines that are coming. Don't, I mean, come on, this has been out around and he's making all these promises. Do you see any, any into this right now? Don't believe him. He's like a snake oil salesman, you know? Well, that's kind of like um, Harris said, well, if the vaccine comes out under Trump, I ain't taking it. I'm not taking it. Nope, nope, not taking it. Then they backpedal and say, oh, you got to take this vaccine or you're going to lose your job or, you know, straight up crazy bullshit. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And, and then it kind of flipped. Yeah, yeah. Um, once the Supreme Court said, well, well, that's unconstitutional. You can't do that. And I haven't been jabbed and not going to get jabbed. I refuse it. But... I think it's Sweden, I want to say. They are doing the digital ID and digital passport, digital um, vaccination card, everything. They're going all digital with all this stuff. So it's only a matter of time before that gets here, in my opinion, um, with everything going digital. And just like um, several episodes ago when we were talking about the smart cars, there's people right now pressuring Elon Musk to shut down all Teslas in Russia. It's like, well, if he has the, if anyone has the power to do that, I don't want a smart car. I don't want a car that anybody can just throw the switch and shut me off going down the road, you know. But, and that's like digital currency and stuff. You know, I've got my credit card and everything, but my ID on my cell phone. However, with if everything went, if they just got rid of the dollar bill and went all digital, I'm going to have an issue with it. Even though I use my cell phone to buy everything as it is, I'm going to have an issue with it because at that point, if 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 everything's digital to me. You know, that means Uncle Sam can see and do whatever he wants to with my currency at that point. You know, or even hackers, for instance, they can get in, get into that network and shut it down. Whereas right now, I still have cash available. I can just use cash to pay for whatever I want. But that's just my two cents on that. Um, I don't, I don't see that going well at all not here in america especially with a digital vaccination card that's you know you got to show your vaccine your proof of vaccine vaccination to go into a movie or restaurant or get your car looked at or worked on or whatever the case is you know to me that's all that's crap (laughs) i hear you Digital everything. Yeah. And uh, I, I thought you were also going to be talking about how they were able to shut down things and especially go after those Russian oligarchs. And how could that, could they do the same to us and and things? But, um, you know, I keep hearing, you know, little whispers about coronavirus making another surge, a new strand of the Omicron virus. Yeah, well, I mean, last week, China shut down again because they've had the highest surge since the original strain went through China. And then I've heard it's surging through Europe again. 
now. Yeah. FBI. So, which now. means it's it's never going away. You know, <laughs> we're going to have to deal with it. The vaccine hadn't done shit to curve or stop it or anything. You know, I've heard. You know, I was hearing people say, well. Um, my grandma was vaccinated and she died from the Ronas because of these unvaccinated people. Well, how was that when she was vaccinated? You know, it makes no sense to me at all. It's really not truly a vaccine. It's more just like a flu shot, you know? Right. And a lot of people don't take the flu shot because a lot of people don't put a lot of stock in it. Um, so, yeah, the I, from what I understand, and I'm definitely not an expert on this i i feel that you know people who have really been hit hardest by the coronavirus or people who have underlying conditions and are older uh children and people who are working who are in the age of working who need to work towards their retirement uh they can still do plenty to help society by working and help themselves by enjoying life and going places doing things with their family and but of course it still would be sucky for those who have to stick at home because they're <laughs> retired or just older and they have underlying conditions yeah. but um i think those are the folks who they need to be looking after um of course there are i have heard people who have uh who've been younger and have died from the virus and that's unfortunate uh, of course that happens there's there's anomalies i feel um i i don't remember the numbers it's been a while since i looked at it but i was following this uh weekly um uh, using uh I, I used a wordometer dot com just to look at the numbers of what's being reported from what they could see um but it looks like the kids are all right and that um, most people who were younger adults even old like you and old like me, I'm actually 42. I'm going to be 43 in a few months. So from what I understand, people 50 and under done fine. And, you know, you hear about how contagious it is. I had a friend who, was, who, got, who got the coronavirus and his mom didn't get it. You know, he lived in the same apartment complex. So, you know, that's not complex, but the same apartment. You know, apartments aren't huge. There's no way to go around without having some kind of contact, whether it's the refrigerator, the bathroom, the TV remote. There's so many ways of getting contact. And even if it's just lingering in the airs, I mean, you see all these, you hear about all these different things, all these interesting stories. But I, I do know people who've gotten coronavirus and were really, really sick and they were not liking life at all. Right. And, uh, some of them didn't even go to the hospital. I'm pretty sure they had coronavirus they could have just had flu too of course but the symptoms it seemed they, they were having trouble breathing they just didn't feel good enough to go to hospital and they just kind of wound up staying at home and trying to tough it out and they did tough it out and they made it yeah. but yeah it, it wasn't something to be played with but this omicron variant it seems like it's a weaker strand and people catch it but it, it seems like most people get over it yeah well, you see what i thought was interesting like when me and my family, when we all got it, none of us had the breathing, the respiratory issues. Like, none of us. Like, I had a badass headache and I was tired as shit. 
if it wasn't for the headache, I would have went to work <laughs> up until, you know, I got tested and tested positive for it. But, you know, I just had a migraine for the most part, and I was just tired of shit. I lost my taste and smell, which that came a few days afterwards. But for the most part, it, I was down for two days. And it was yeah. mo- once I got my headache under control, I was fine after that. Um, this is what we're having is therapy, man, because we've just been through something. We've been put through something, and now we're at a place where we have to talk about it. We got to get it off our chest because it's like a big old bag weighing on us. Like we feel like we've been screwed, you know. And uh, some people lost family members, and they oh, yeah. hear people, "Oh, it's fake, it's fake." But most people I hear like it's real, but it's, we're going too far. Society shouldn't be shut down by just a few people in power and just completely up in people's lives and they just sticking at home and the economy was buzzing along quite nicely and then completely stopped yeah. and then now we're into this recession and all these things are happening around the world that's affecting not just americans but the world i mean everyone's kind of suffering from everything that's just happened you know oh yeah and then now you hear in the news, oh, China's shutting down again. Oh, hell, what's coming now? But we've got Ukraine to focus on instead of worried about what's going on in China. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, let's see. Um, I forget what it was. Um, I forget. There was a new treatment that come out um, in the pill form. It says if you've got the symptoms of the Rona, but haven't gotten the test yet, go ahead and start taking this pill and supposedly it'll fix you right up. I don't, haven't looked too much into it as of yet, but I thought that was interesting. See, the, to me, the way they did with the uh, vaccine was they put all their eggs in one basket saying, oh, this is the cure-all, be-all. And there were several reports early on that you know, with the vaccine, the virus stops with it. But then come to find out, you know, you can still get it. You can still spread it. You can still die from it. You can die from the vaccine. And it's like, what's the point of the vaccine then? <laughs> you know, how are you going to stop the virus with a vaccine that does not work? You know, if a vaccine, if it worked, then you wouldn't see the numbers. The death toll wouldn't have been higher under Biden's terms than Trump without the vaccine. So, I don't know. Then the other thing I look at is how big tech has blocked a lot of the information. Like anybody that speaks out against what they've, they're pushing for the vaccine, anybody that speaks out against it, they shut them down. Like Dr. Robert Malone. He was one of the founders of the technology, the mRNA technology. Um, the other doctor, the cardiologist, is like, the, I, don't, I forget the guy's name. So it's just, he was famous. He's had more books published and more um, papers written than any other cardiologist at all. But those two doctors that, I think we all should listen to and hear what they have to say. Maybe not believe everything they have to say, but at least listen to them and 
that way you can get a better understanding of what you're about to inject in your body you know so but with big tech having the ability to shut down shut them down and pretty much remove all that from the internet other people are like okay um or people like me anyway that question science and question people question you know your media and question your leaders looked at oh you're an idiot because why are you questioning science well that's what science is is questioning it you know if it's a problem for me just questioning it if you can't answer the question then obviously the science is not accurate you know what i mean because of the science accurate you can answer my question with what you have you know with the studies you have and i don't think that they're doing a a good job um showing the science of it or proving that the science is actually 100 percent spot on (laughs) i uh I, I've always been of the school, while science is important, there's other things to take into account. History, for one, and uh, mathematics is another, statistics. Um, that's also part of science, you know, just looking oh, yeah. at the statistics. But I think people have really put science up on a pedestal, almost uh, making it into more of a religion. It's a great practice, you know, you should be testing and looking for answers. And that's kind of what we do with biology, chemistry, all the different kinds of sciences, astronomy, all this stuff. But there's a lot more to what we need to know than just science. That's why we have so many subjects that we're constantly looking into. And if we just focus at one thing, and that's just science, we're missing out on other things, I mean, Exactly. Mostly history is, I think, is something that we forgot about um, when it comes to uh, things like uh, uh, the Spanish flu, for instance. This is my young son, James. He refuses to go to bed on time. Um, (laughs) He loves telling people that he loves them. So go ahead and get it out, James. We love you too, James. He's giving me a thumbs up. You done talking now? All right, go uh, go rest a while, buddy. I'll come and see you in a minute. All right, well, hell, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap this up since so you can get that done. And Well, hell, Brian, man, I appreciate you being on here tonight. We'll do this again. Um, now that the weather is breaking, we'll have to get you over here and do an in-person podcast. That way we can sit around shoot the shit and have a few cigars and shot a liquor or two and <laughs> really have a good time <laughs> all, right. all right i don't drink too much i usually go very light because uh liquor Whew. i've had uh some pretty rough moments on that that's uh that's for another podcast episode i believe that's uh that's more in the line of gluttony one of the seven deadly sins bringing it back to dante's inferno and early religious thought there not very early it's more a mid-century thought well let's plug your book real quick what's the name of it oh well we got a while okay uh, i'll just let you know if you want to hear a story that's available now that hasn't been edited at all 
you can find it at briantimothymitchell.com. That's Brian with a Y, and the story is called No Place Like Home. It's kind of shout out to uh, Wizard of Oz. I love portal fiction, and this is a little short story that takes us just a little ways into Dante's Inferno with uh, some other characters and some familiar ones from the story that will come out in October. So, yeah, awesome. thanks for that. Well, you want to give any shout outs before we get off here? Anybody want to say hey or bye or F you or <laughs> anything like that? Is Michelle still there? She's somewhere around here. I don't know where she ran off to. Um, Michelle, well, shout still- out to Michelle. Thanks for <laughs> the early discussion. She said some pretty uh, smart things. Another author that's taken a long sabbatical is J- George R.R. R. Martin. She mentioned him in the Song of uh, Fire and Ice. We've been waiting on that next book for a long time from him that's the game of thrones series uh of course hbo beat him to the punch i think he's kind of <laughs> tweaking some things for stories the books to come out now but yeah a lot of folks waiting on those <laughs> well hell, we're going to get off here um if you're still listening we appreciate it um if you want to hit me up you can reach me at sweating bullets podcast at outlook.com also, you can hit me up at facebook.com forward slash woodies.sweatingbullets.1. Easiest way to get in touch with me. Um, if you want to be a, a special guest on here, hit me up, definitely. Um, I can't yell at Michelle. She's left the studio. I don't. I guess we just ran this a little too long for her. Um, but, Brian, I appreciate you being on here. We'll do it again um, real soon. Um I'm going to leave everybody with a song. Brian picked this out. It's Creeping Death. Goodbye.